0: This is KGNU's Morning Magazine for Wednesday, January 25th of 2023. I'm your host, Hannah Stewart. Coming up on today's program, we'll hear from a local doctor and author about his new book, which explores the link between population growth and ecological disease. Chris Moore is out this week, but we will have the latest edition of Naturally with herbalist Brigitte Mars. A commentary from Jim Hightower is at the bottom of the hour. Then Sam Fuqua will be talking about dogs this morning on A Public Affair and taking your calls. His guest is Mark Beckoff, author of over 30 books and Professor Emeritus of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology at CU Boulder. His books include Canine Confidential, Why Dogs Do What They Do. At 9.30, Cameron Henderson will be in the Boulder studio for the Morning Sound Alternative. That's all still ahead this morning, but first a look at the headlines with KGNU's Luis Lincoln.
1: A Starbucks location on Baseline and Broadway has become the first in Boulder to unionize. Workers there voted yesterday by a margin of 13 to 2 in favor for union representation. Jeff Cahoon, president of Boulder Area Labor Council, congratulated the CAFE workers in a press release, stating the win is an example of a broad community support and solidarity for the labor movement. The Boulder Starbucks location is the ninth in Colorado to unionize. Through the approved unionization, workers are expected to negotiate for a higher pay, schedule consistency, and increase staffing in busy locations. Reports filed late last week from the Colorado Department of Health and Environment shows excessive levels of benzene contamination in Sand Creek, which passes by Suncor Refinery. Suncor informed the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment about releasing 80% more benzene into the creek than legally permitted earlier this month. The company is still conducting repairs on its equipment, and as a result, people will see and hear work happening despite the plant being shut down. Colorado is one of eight states joining the Department of Justice in an antitrust lawsuit against Google. Jake Crowley from KGNU reports. The DOJ says Google violated the Sherman Antitrust Act by acquiring the largest online advertising exchange platform, DoubleClick Ad Exchange, in 2008. The most recent lawsuit says Google actively imposed unfair restrictions and higher fees on the company's rivals. Now formerly known as Google Ad Exchange, Google controls both buyers and sellers. Google's shares went down 1.3% yesterday as uncertainty with the lawsuit plays out. This is the second lawsuit filed by the DOJ against Google. For KGNU, I'm Jay Crowley. Eight-state Senate community will hear a bill today that aims to create incentives to transition from a high-emitting gas-powered lawn equipment. KGNU's Alyssa Palazzo has more.
0: This afternoon, the Colorado Senate Transportation and Energy Committee will consider Senate Bill 16, which proposes a state tax credit for electric-powered lawnmowers, leaf blowers, trimmers, and snow blowers. The Colorado Public Interest Research Group, or COPERG, estimates transitioning away from gas-powered lawn equipment could be one of the more high-impact ways to reduce air pollution in the Front Range. In a recent study, the research group noted that a consumer-grade leaf blower emits nearly 300 times the amount of ozone-forming pollutants as a 2011 Ford F-150 pickup truck. Sponsors of SB-16 predict their proposed tax credit will reduce consumer prices for electric lawn equipment by 30%. For KGNU, I'm Alyssa Palazzo.
1: The city of Boulder has launched a new grant program to fund repairs to manufactured homes damaged by winds during the Marshall Fire. Manufactured home communities are particularly vulnerable to extreme weather events, and more than 400 homes suffered damage during the fire, according to Boulder Housing Project Manager Crystal Landler. The program will prioritize mobile home communities, and contractors will help residents add insulation to their units, which can make them more airtight and resilient to extreme weather events. The city will first focus on the most needed and urgent repairs and then expand the program to help residents upgrade their home system to reduce energy costs. The new climate tax funds this program and the city's efforts to improve communities due to the now-growing effect of climate change. Adams County has officially launched and opened a county-wide health department. Adams County manager Noel Bernal said that the building the department will require diligent planning, strong leadership, and $27 million budget. The department will also provide a variety of clinical services at low or no cost to the community and will work closely with community partners to improve overall health outcomes for residents. The ACHD aims to address components of population health lost during the COVID-19 pandemic and reduce health inequities impacting diverse populations. For today, we are going to see a high of 32 and a low of 18 with a current temperature of 20 degrees. In Denver, we're going to see a high of 32 and a low of 18 with a current temperature of 18 degrees. And in Fort Collins, there's a high of 34 and a low of 19 with a current temperature of 23 degrees. You might see some snow flurries during your morning commute this morning. And these were the headlines for the morning. For KGNU, I am Luis Licón.
0: are listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm your host, Hannah Stewart. What are the environmental implications of a global population that keeps expanding year after year? Can the planet handle the pressures of humanity's demand for resources? And why have we, as supposedly intelligent Homo sapiens, been unable to halt a march toward the destruction of our own environment? Those are some of the questions at the core of Homo Ecophagus: A Deep Diagnosis to Save the Earth. The book is by local author, professor, and physician, Dr. Warren Hearn, who joins me in the studio. Good morning and welcome to the show.
2: Good morning, Hannah, and thank you very much for inviting me. It's an honor to be on your program.
0: Yes, we're very excited to have you. So just to start off, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? You're a doctor and an author, but how did you find these passions, this path?
2: Well, I'm a, I'm a physician and an epidemiologist, uh, which is a branch of public health. where You you try to understand the, the determinants in, uh, of health and illness in human populations. That's the, the basic uh, science of epidemiology. But uh, <clears throat> I, I began looking at these issues of uh, destruction of the environment and population growth a long time ago, more than 50 years ago, when I was a medical student. Uh, And I was concerned before that about things that I was seeing. Uh, But uh, that I worked in the Peruvian Amazon in 1964 and other parts of Latin America. And I kept seeing the expansion of human communities. And I was watching the issues of population growth. And it was apparent to me that at some point the population growth was going to uh, increasingly destroy the environment and make it impossible for people to survive as well as other species. And in any case, I, so I started looking at this over 50 years ago during my, fifth, my first uh, graduate work in public health. This is after medical school and after being a Peace Corps physician in Brazil.
0: Now, on first skim of the book, it looks like it's probably going to focus mostly on the environment. I mean, there's a bird covered in oil on the front cover. But you talk about a wide range of topics, including abortion and public health. So what's the intersection of all of these topics?
2: Well, it's very complicated in, in some ways, but it's also rather simple. But first of all, uh, the name of my book, Homo Acophagus, is my new name for the human species. It means the man who devours the ecosystem as distinguished from our current scientific name, which is Homo sapiens sapiens, wise, wise man. We are obviously not wise, so we are the most misnamed species on the planet. Uh, But my point in the book is that when you look at all of the things that are going on with uncontrolled population growth of the human species, uh, with uh, consistent uh, destruction of the human environment, of the environment, over the last tens of thousands of years, and uh, at an increasing pace in the last 300 years during the Industrial Revolution, uh, I'm trying to look at the origins and dynamics of this process. You can't just make a list of horribles and understand why this is happening. Uh, Ultimately, what I did was come to the conclusion that the human species now has all the major characteristics of a malignant process. So we are We are in the process as a species of converting all plant, animal, organic, and inorganic material on the planet into human biomass or its adaptive adjuncts, and uh, that we are devouring the planet. So that's the origin of the name of this. And in the book, I first of all, in the first third, I describe how I came to this idea. It was a horrifying idea. I I didn't, I mean, I'd like to be proven wrong, Uh, but then I, I have the middle part of the book, is a description of the manifestations of this malignancy beginning at the local small habitat level to a global uh, phenomenon. And then uh, the last part is uh, analysis and policy choices. What do we do about this?
0: So you're making this diagnosis that we're devouring our ecosystem as Mm. both a medical doctor and as a PhD in epidemiology. So aside from... Just assessing the situation, what are some treatments that you propose?
2: Well, uh, as you mentioned uh, <clears throat> uh, in your introduction, we did I do talk about issues of fertility control, so that's one component of this. Obviously, we need to stop destroying the environment the way we are, uh, which is not consistent with sustainability or, or even our own survival. But you know, one of the most elementary aspects of this is that the human species has continued to expand for thousands of years. And at this point, it's doubling every 40 or 50 years. Which means by the end of this century, we could be close to 20 billion people. Uh, The planet cannot sustain the current population of 8 billion. So one of the things I'm saying, as long as the human species population is growing, there is no hope of solving these problems. And one of the most elementary things is for people to be able to control their own fertility, which takes us to another uh, controversial subject, which is abortion, which is part of human fertility control. And uh, while the uh, safe abortion is now a fundamental component of women's health care in the 21st century, as it was in the last century, uh, there is concerted and even violent opposition uh, to that uh in the in this society and in other parts of the world but in 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 our society, for example, uh we just saw the Supreme Court uh come down with the Dobbs decision, which overturned the Roe versus Wade decision that's been uh, a constitutional right for women for over fifty years <clears throat> just now uh, we just watched the 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 fiftieth anniversary of that and the anti-abortion movement in the United States is a violent fascist movement, which is controlled by and which controls the Republican Party. So that's that's a fundamental political issue. Uh, but <clears throat> offering uh, fertility control of all kinds to women and their families all over the planet, which includes birth control, sterilization, abortion, and all those things on a completely voluntary basis, would cost a tiny fraction of the military budget that we have, in our country um, by itself and so uh, <clears throat> these these this is a, an elementary part of that solution but there's re- great resistance to it in our society
0: and i'd like to come back to that idea in just a second but just like with physical and mental health treatments there are always options like treatment is very multifaceted. so you talk a lot about curbing population growth to limit impact but what else could be missing what about curbing consumption. I mean there are huge houses that have these huge carbon footprints for right. example. So what else can we do and what else can be potentially done at a policy level do you think?
2: Well one of the obvious things is that <clears throat> are the, the most immediate threat perhaps to the survival of the human species and many other species is global warming. That is the direct consequence of our use of fossil fuels for energy and other reasons. And I think that uh, that is a fatal uh, problem. And we have to stop using fossil fuels for energy. We have to stop using fossil fuels uh, to grow food and uh, in many other ways. Uh, and I think because the carbon dioxide that we're pumping into the atmosphere and other gases such as methane uh, are, are fatal. And uh, we can't survive that. I mean, the, the average global temperature is increasing and, uh, for example, the Paris conference tried to set uh, a upper limit of 1.5 degrees centigrade for uh, increasing temperature in this uh, uh, century. Uh, and we will probably reach that by mid-century, if not sooner. Uh, and that's going to have a tremendous destabilizing effect on the entire uh, global ecosystem. But we will probably pass 1.5 degrees centigrade uh, going right by it and get to 2 by centigrade by the end of the century, if not higher. So that's uh, one of the things we can do is stop using fossil fuels. And uh, you point out the issue of consumption. Uh, right now, uh, there's a, the, the ecological footprint idea developed by Professor Bill Reese and his colleagues and students uh, about uh, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Uh, which And basically, they're saying, that we're using more than one planet's worth of resources. And Paul Ehrlich the other day on the 60 Minutes pointed out that we're using uh, about seven planets' worth of resources. So we have to stop doing that.
0: So circling back then to one of your main arguments about fertility control and population growth... You worked as a federal official on family planning policies in the early 1970s. Yes. Do you ever reflect on where those trends could have gone and certain recommendations that could have been implemented?
2: Well, I think that uh, there's been a political struggle in the United States, for example, of whether are going to allow people to make a decision about their own fertility control. And uh, even President Richard Nixon, who had uh, a lot of serious flaws, uh, supported family planning services for, for, for people. In fact, my own activity was to uh, was as a federal official for a federal family planning program for the OEO health centers across the country. So we were helping about 300,000 poor women across the country in those days. Um, there, uh, many In many ways, the funding for federal family planning services has suffered uh, many blows and gone up and down. Uh, but again, uh, the, uh, the the political choices that we make at the ballot box are whether to support candidates who will help fund those programs and help women and have their families have the health care that they need, including their own fertility control, or not. And uh, so in 25 states now, for example, the Republican Party uh, has uh, either made abortion illegal completely, uh, or highly restricted. And there's one Indiana senator who is saying that they're going to make laws to prevent women in that state from leaving their, their own state to get services elsewhere. I mean, the, it's it's really a uh, a fascist policy. And, and so these, these things are catastrophic for women and their families.
0: So you're one of the most veteran abortion providers, not just in the state of Colorado, but in the country. So with politics surrounding access to safe and legal abortions increasingly being politicized, as you've been saying, how do you see the prospects for the workforce within reproductive health care? Do you think there are incoming medical students, enough of them to keep these services functional?
2: Well, I think that there there are plenty of people who, who want to do this work, and a lot of idealistic young physicians and nurses and other healthcare workers who want to do that. The, the the policies of the Republican Party have shut down these clinics all over the country, and so women are desperate. They have to go hundreds of th- or even thousands of miles to get the help they need. That is uh, that is one important c- component of it, but uh, the uh, uh, I think that the um, the people make these choices at the ballot box. And uh, you can either vote for people who will support intelligent policies to protect the environment and help uh, limit fertility, or you can vote for the people that want to drill for oil in the national parks. So uh, those are the choices we make.
0: So circling back to the book, you're giving a talk at the St. Julian Hotel tonight. Yeah. What can attendees expect, and is this a public event?
2: It's a private event uh, and requires a ticket, uh, and and we're going to have heavy security because— uh, uh, of my own personal safety, the anti-abortion people have tried to kill and have killed uh, a number of doctors uh, throughout the country, and I'm on the hit list. Uh, so we have to have serious protection. But uh, the, so the tickets are available uh, through the Boulder Bookstore and uh, their their website, and uh, and people can come to the to the event at the St. Julian Hotel. It starts at 6:30 with snacks and refreshments, and then my presentation will be at seven o'clock and in that presentation I will talk to people about what's in the book and how it's organized why did I write it how did I get to this horrible idea that's expressed in the book and then uh, uh, after I when I am making the presentation I will uh, for example give a specific example of the kinds of things the ways that people modify the environment in uh, the Amazon and then uh, I will show some slides to show how we get to this idea, and what it means, and then uh, we will have questions and answers.
0: Well, thank you so much, Dr. Warren Hearn, for coming on the program. He is the author of Homo Ecophagus: A Deep Diagnosis to Save the Earth. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and I hope that you have a great event tonight.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Time now for Naturally, with herbalist Brigitte Mars.
3: Greetings. Welcome to Naturally. It's that season where people are getting colds and flus, and I just want to make sure you know what to do if that happens. So, first of all, sometimes getting sick is an opportunity to get well. It may be a message that you're doing too much, not eating healthy enough. So pay attention to what the message is. I always find that if coming down with a cold or flu, you want to eat super healthy. Cutting out dairy is always a good idea because that's just going to make you have a lot more phlegm, blow your nose, clear your throat, and you're probably already doing that. So back off the dairy. One of my favorite foods for a cold is baked sweet potato with raw garlic. Raw garlic is so much more antimicrobial than cooked garlic. So just bake your sweet potato and chop up some raw garlic and then add coconut oil or butter and Celtic salt. And there you go. Other things you might do would be miso soup with lots of garlic and onions in it, winter squashes, applesauce with cinnamon. And it may be that you just don't have a really big appetite. I find that hot, spicy food are excellent. This might be the time where you try the really hot spicy Thai soup that you weren't sure about. All of those spices, garlic, ginger, cayenne, they are bronchodilators and they also improve circulation. And they're also super antimicrobial. So it's a win-win situation. And of course, there are so many herbs that can help us with colds and flus. Everybody, knows echinacea, but the thing is you have to do it frequently. Three times a day is not going to be enough. We have elderberry syrup, which tastes good, wonderful for kids of all ages. And some of the really, really strong antivirals come to us from Asia. And I think of things like Isatis, Baptisia, Andrographis. There's all kinds of combinations that are available, already made. You don't have to take a slow boat to China to go get them. They're already made in products like Cold Snap, Cold Quell, Cold Nip, Yin Chow. Take your pick. They're widely available. And diffusing some essential oils in the room like eucalyptus oil would also be really good for clearing congestion and also helping you to breathe better and might even help prevent other members of your household from getting sick. It's okay to take lots of naps and rest. You might want to soak in the bathtub to which you've added some ginger tea, which feels great on sore muscles. And one last thing, if you're just about to come down with something, there's a great homeopathic remedy called ocelococcinum. Yeah. If you just go to the health food store and say, I want the homeopathic remedy that starts with an O, they'll know what you mean. All right. Take care. Many blessings. Thanks for joining me, Brigitte Mars, on Naturally.
0: That's a wrap for today's Morning Magazine. I've been your host, Hannah Stewart. Shannon Young is our producer. Special thanks to my guest, Dr. Warren Hearn, and to our team, Luis Lincoln, Alyssa Palazzo, Jake Crowley, Alexis Kenyon, and Brigitte Mars for their contributions to today's program. Stay tuned for a live call show about dogs with Sam Fuqua and Mark Beckoff. That's just after the latest commentary from Jim Hightower.